rest of you can open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be at, verses 26 and 27. I think Miss Heather had a word for all of us this morning, <laughs> certainly for me. Uh, I, did, I, I do want to start this morning a little bit differently. Um, I have a couple of things that have just been heavy on my heart to just bless the people of Mosaic with. Things that I have heard of your good works and your good faith, things that I've experienced and things that others have testified to. And I just want to point out a couple of those things. This last week, I had a couple of conversations with people that were relatively new to Mosaic. And in both of those conversations, they made a point to mention that when they started visiting Mosaic, that they just experienced a lot of kindness from the church family that's here. And I hear that regularly. And I can't tell you what an encouragement it is to me as your pastor to hear that testimony, just the kindness that you extend to people in the life of this church, to one another, to folks that are new here. Uh, And uh, I just got to tell you, that's a tremendous blessing. And it's a fragrant aroma of the good news of the gospel. So I want to bless you in your endeavors to be kind to those who are with us, to be hospitable to one another, to those who are new. That's, that's a way of kind of extending and giving the presence of the Lord. And it's something you do uniquely well. And I just want to bless you with that. And the second thing that I want to bless you is that our congregational voice in singing is strong. It's strong. And that's not just Jesus karaoke we do on Sunday mornings. The word of God says that when we sing, we sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and it's like we're preaching to one another. We're teaching to one another. So in some ways, the sermon event begins before anyone gets up here to preach as we extend the truth of God to one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And you have endeavored to do that well and with a strong voice, and I want to commend you for that. I want to let you know how encouraging it is to hear that. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not encouraging because it's an affirmation of what we're doing. It's an encouraging because it's a proclamation of truth one to another. And I'm so encouraged by your work in those ways. Nobody likes to feel weak. I got to tell you, I definitely don't like feeling weak. But every week, um, three or four times a week, I'll put myself in a situation where I am totally reminded of just how weak I am. I'll step into Corvo Jiu-Jitsu off of Arapaho and... Uh, I will be reminded that I know nothing, uh, that I cannot move my body in the ways that I should be able to, and that um, I am far weaker, both physically and mentally, than I thought I was. Uh, This last week, I was reminded of that by a 17-year-old named Joel. Uh, (laughs) If you're hearing this, Joel, uh, respect. Uh, I come to you in peace. I grossly underestimated you, Joel, and... (laughs) Uh, As the lights were dimming from the triangle choke I was in, my tap was a sign of respect to you um, and a way of reminding myself that I am am not what I could be one day. Uh, It's miserable to feel weak. Uh, It's miserable to feel weak. It's it's humbling to feel weak. When we feel weak, it awakens with us a knowledge that we need help, that we aren't in control, that we can't do it on our own. we typically don't like those messages. We typically don't like those reminders. Most of our lives are spent trying to distract ourselves or cushion ourselves from the reality that we are weaker than we'd be prepared to admit. Let me tell you some of my weaknesses. I am weak in patience. I am impatient. I am weak in hope. I can be prone to discouragement and despair. 
On a lighter note, I'm also terribly weak as it pertains to sour candy. It's a weakness of mine. Um, I can't say no to it. Um, But in our weakness, the heavy ones and the light ones, the big ones and the small ones, in our weakness and in our weaknesses, God is inviting us into something special. God is inviting us into something special. I want us to discover what that is. So to do that, we're going to look at Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. I'll read it, and then just like every week after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. The reason we do that is that God hasn't left his people in silence. He has spoken. You're invited to respond with thanks be to God. So let me read Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want us to see two things in this passage, and I'll give them to you at the outset for the note takers in the room. I want us to see our weakness and the Spirit's power. Our weakness and the Spirit's power. And then the second thing I want us to see is our weakness and the Spirit's prayer. Our weakness and the Spirit's power and our weakness and the Spirit's prayer. In Romans 8 already, Paul has been telling us that the Christian life is by necessity a life that is lived of the Spirit. If you look back at Romans 8, 5 through 6, you'll hear, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8 has already been telling us, it's already been priming the pump with the truth that the Christian life is a spirit-dependent life. It's a spirit-led life. It's a spirit-filled life. And in verse 26, we get some acknowledgments of the unique work of the Spirit in the Christian life. We hear that the Spirit helps us, and we hear that the Spirit intercedes for us. And I want to explore exactly what that means. But before we do that, I think it's good to remind ourselves of who this Spirit is. Who this Spirit is. Who is this Spirit? Well, this Spirit that's referenced here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, co-equal in glory and worth and honor to God the Son and God the Father. The, the Trinity is not hierarchical. God the Father isn't varsity. God the Son isn't JV. God the Spirit isn't the freshman squad. The Holy Spirit is co-equal in worth and glory and honor with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a vibe. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Godhead, and the person who is the foremost actor in the living of the day-to-day Christian life. Our day-in and day-out Christian life is a life that is lived to God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. The operative person And the daily affairs of Christian living is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is directing us towards Jesus, who is inviting us into the very presence of God the Father. 
The Trinity acts together in all that the Trinity does. This is the doctrine of inseparable operations, that there is one will in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that they do, they do of one accord, in one purpose, the glory of God and the good of God's people. This is the Holy Spirit. And this is the Spirit that Paul has been talking about in Romans 8 and is bringing us back to in verse 26. This is the Spirit that helps us in our weakness. Helps us in our weakness. Now this isn't, um, for any Christians familiar with the Gospels, this isn't new information. When Jesus testified to the coming of the Holy Spirit, many times, but I'm looking at John 15, 26 here, Jesus tells you exactly what the Spirit will do. He says in John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, John 15, 26 is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in one verse. It's an espresso shot of truth. One verse that tells you the fundamental things you need to know about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when the helper comes, the helper is the spirit of truth. So when Paul is telling the church in Rome, the spirit of God helps you, he's not saying anything different from what Jesus said about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a helper to those who are following in the way of Jesus. He's a helper. He's a helper, and this helper comes through the Son, but proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father through the Son and enters into the world at the sending of God the Father so that he might help us, so that he might direct us, so that he might intercede on our behalf. And it's good that the Holy Spirit is a helper. It's good that the Holy Spirit is our helper. You know why? Because we need help. We need help. We need help generally and we need help specifically. And I want to make that distinction here. Because the beauty of the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just help us in very specific instances of need, but generally as well. The Holy Spirit helps us generally, just in the daily affairs of life. Life is sometimes more than we can bear. Sometimes the trials of life and the sorrows that attend to it are deeper than we have resources to address. If you haven't been there, one day you will be. And you can realize really quickly both the ineptitude that we have by nature, the incapacity, the unwillingness that we have to be able to move towards what is good when things go bad. The Holy Spirit is our helper generally. We need a lot of help. Paul, in the verses that have been preceding this, has been talking about suffering. Paul, as we've already discovered, is somebody who's well acquainted with suffering. We ourselves, we know the corridors and the hallways of trial, affliction, and suffering. And Paul has been telling us that, listen, in the midst of this suffering, we can't lose hope because there is a glory that is to come. Over the last few weeks, we explored how difficult it can be to hold on to hope in the midst of suffering. And some of you know that palpably well. It's not a distant memory. It's a present reality for you. And it can be very difficult to hold on to hope in the midst of the bad days, in the midst of the darkness, 
It's not a coincidence that right after Paul says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's not a coincidence that the verse right after Paul commends to us the practice and the exercising of hope, does he tell us that the Spirit will help us. Because if we're going to be people of deep hope, we're also going to be people of deep help. The Spirit of God will help us, and we will need the Spirit of God's deep help in order to experience a deep hope in the midst of hard times. We talked about the tension that we live in, the tension between what Christ has done and what Christ is coming again to do. And in the midst of this tension, how do we live out hope in the days of difficulty, in the days of sorrow, and in the days of thanksgiving? Well, it is only by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we need the Spirit's help indeed. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just help us generally with the living of the Christian life. There are very specific ways in which the Holy Spirit helps as well, and that's what the second part of verse 26 gets to. Look at what it says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So now Paul kind of dives into greater detail and specificity with what the help of the Spirit is. Because the help of the Spirit is broad enough to encompass just the daily difficulties of living in faithfulness to Christ, but it is also addressing a very unique and specific reality in this verse, which is our speechlessness our inability to know and to understand what we need, what would be best, and to bring that into the presence of God with confidence. The Spirit helps us, not just generally, but the Spirit helps us when we don't know what we need. And there are times when we don't know what we need. There are times when we don't know what we want. There are times when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know how to respond. There are times in which we are both overwhelmed by our sense of neediness for God and totally uncertain as to how to voice that to God. And part of the gift of the Spirit is that in those moments, God doesn't mock our speechlessness. God does not mock our lack of self-awareness. God doesn't scoff at us and go, get yourself together. God doesn't slander us. He doesn't despise us for our inability to tell him what we need. God, the Holy Spirit, gives voice to what we cannot say, gives voice and speech to what we do not know, is able to articulate, articulate the things we are afraid to admit we feel, and then to bring them to the one who can do something about it. The Spirit helps us I want to point out some ways that the Spirit helps us, some ways just generally that the Spirit works in the world. I think these are often forgotten. The Spirit of God illuminates God's Word. It illuminates God's Word. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus is testifying to the coming of the Spirit, the primary thing he's pointing the disciples to is the Spirit will come and he will remind you of what I've said. He will direct you to me. He will point you back to me. The Spirit of God illuminates God's word to us. He opens up our eyes and ears to what God has said and what God is saying from his word and in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
The Spirit of God illuminates. He opens eyes and ears, hearts and minds. The Spirit of God comforts us. He's the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the advocate who stands in our stead and communicates the desires and needs of our heart that are hard to ascertain and harder still to communicate to God. The Spirit of God comforts us. The Spirit of God encourages us. He reminds us that we belong to God. He testifies to the work of God in our life and the life of the world. The Spirit of God convicts us, demonstrating our need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the Spirit of God does all of these things to point us towards Jesus. The Spirit of God has one singular aim for God's people which is that they turn their vision to Jesus over and over and over again. There is, a, I think, a tendency sometimes for us to either ignore or to kind of misappropriate the Spirit's work in the life of a church, the Spirit's work in our life. I think that if we're honest, many of us don't really know how to pin down the work of the Holy Spirit And because it feels uncontrollable to us, it seems easy to ignore or to minimize. And that's no surprise because we like control. Jesus himself says the Spirit blows where it wishes. He testifies to the fact that the Spirit of God is certainly not in our control. The Spirit of God is not going to be something that we can wield for our own ends and purposes. And subsequently, it gets far too little attention. But the Holy Spirit is moving in the life of God's people. The tectonic things that God is doing in your life, that God is inviting you in to receive, to participate in, that work is being done, oftentimes below the surface of our awareness, and it's being done by the Spirit of God. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit also intercedes for us. What does this mean, intercedes for us? It means prays for us. Petitions on our behalf. And we need this help because we don't always know what to pray. We don't fully know what God would desire. We don't know the purposes of God perfectly, but the Spirit does. And there are many times in which we might be fearful that we don't really know what to ask God for. And what Paul is telling us is that there is one who represents us, who brings our prayers into the throne room of God, And even when we come to God in selfishness or in vanity and conceit, the Holy Spirit of God can take our prayers and bring them into the presence of God so that God might drive his purposes home in our lives. And it says here in a very interesting phrase, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, scholars in this passage, they kind of go in a few different directions here. Are these our groanings? Are they the Spirit's groanings? It's a little bit of a debate on what's really at play here. I think the clearest thing, though, is that this reference to groanings too deep for words is a reference to those inexpressible longings, desires, and needs that just begin to surface in the human heart. Those things that we just feel like, I wouldn't dare ask this of God. The things that seem either too big in sorrow or too big in beauty for us to bring to God. It's those unspoken things. It may even be things that we don't even know are there. 
the desire beneath the desire, the fear underneath the fear, the anxiety underneath the anxiety, the bitterness underneath the bitter, the anger underneath the anger. These things that almost function at a subconscious level. You know, I think many of us have had moments where we can feel that cross-pressure. You ever had a moment where you were just so struck speechless by the heartache of something? Where you just, you didn't know what to say? There have been a time when you've been just struck speechless at the beauty of something? At the wonder of something? The joy of something? There are times when we can feel overwhelmed and yet unable to communicate it. And I think this is the groaning's too deep for words. You know, there are times when Lord will ask me, why are you anxious? And I'll know that I am anxious, but I can't seem to figure out why. There are times in which I know that it can feel scary. And somebody might ask you, why are you scared? And you might say something, but you know it's not it. You know that's not really the fear. There might be times where you're overwhelmed with delight, and yet you can't just really tie it to something specific. I think it's in these moments that the groaning's too deep for words, that which just appears to remain voiceless or inexpressible to us, that the Spirit of God is kind enough to take those things and to bring them to God even when we can't. How kind of God that he not only hears us, but when we can't speak, he's able to speak for us. That's a wonder of prayer. It's a really amazing thing that God is so gracious to say, hey, 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 I hear you. I know where you're at. I actually know better than you. We need help because we're weak. Now, some of us don't think we're weak, but some of us are really aware of it. I don't want to talk to two groups in here. I want to talk to one group right now that, I, that I, I feel really sympathetic to. I come to you as one of you. I want to talk to the achievers in the room. Okay, my Enneagram threes, my task list keeping, organized, gold star students, type A folks. I know y'all are in here. I know what your life feels like. I come to you in peace. Um, you know, this rat race that we feel... Let me just go ahead and dispel something to you. It's not a seasonal thing. Everybody's walking around talking about just a busy season. For you achievers, it's not a busy season. It's an ache in your soul. It's an ache in your soul. And guess what? It's never going to stop. Not if you keep feeding it the same diet. It's never going to stop. You need something greater. You need something more. You need to realize that the, the strength of it all doesn't come from you being strong. It comes from you leaning in to your weakness. And God is inviting you to say, I need help, to acknowledge your need. I want to talk to exhausted moms and dads. It's okay to admit that you're exhausted. It's okay to admit that you feel constantly pulled between the demands of work, your social calendar, the responsibilities of home. I think some of us are convinced that we've got to keep this strong front of I have it all together on all the time. 
But our true strength is not in running from God, but leaning on God. And I, I'll tell you, for all of us, there is more hope in freedom in coming to God in prayer than there is in getting the next promotion or in having the most Instagrammable life or in making sure your kid doesn't miss out on anything special. Those roads do not lead to the hope and freedom they promise. And we just need to be reminded that the Spirit of God is inviting us in our weakness to say, God, I need you. And we need to be reminded that in the midst of our great need, God is what we truly desire. It's the only thing that's going to meet the ache in our chest. We are weak. And God's power is magnified in us when we admit that and ask him for help. This verse is also a reminder that we should not despise those whose weaknesses are more obvious than our own. In a suburban community of affluence, let me tell you, it's very easy to begin to categorize and cordon off what you find as respectable forms of weakness. Respectable forms of need. That's very easy. I think it would be a good time in the life of our church and in your life to kind of wonder to yourself, are there forms of weakness that I kind of view as respectable, safe, acceptable here? And then are there kinds of weaknesses that I do not view as respectable and okay and acceptable here? Because when we begin to do that interior work, we're going to realize two things. One, we're a lot more needy than we are. And two, part of our neediness is that we view that our needs are greater than everyone else's. Or they're more acceptable or easier, easier to tolerate than everyone else's. We're all needy. Our need doesn't always look the same at all time. But God is kind enough to have a heart that's undivided. And he isn't giving special access to some needs over others. God's time doesn't have to be doled out in that way because his time isn't finite. God's resources don't have to be doled out in that way because his resources aren't finite. God's energy doesn't have to be subdivided and calendared because God's energy isn't finite. It's okay for us to admit that there are things that we cordon off as acceptable forms of weakness. We have to acknowledge those things so that we can truly embrace that the power of God is greater than the power of man and the weakness that God is inviting us into will not only confound the world, it will confound our selfishness. Martin Luther, when once asked what his plans for the following day were, he said, work, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I love that. Um, you know, it's dangerous to quote Luther because for every good quote he has, he has 15 that'll scare the daylights out of you. But this is a good one. Work, work, work from early until late. I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Luther was admitting need. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a daily invitation to acknowledge we are weak and God is strong and his power is made perfect in our weakness. Now, there's something remarkable in the next verse. The wonder of God's work is that even when we don't know how to feel or what we need or what we should do, God does. And he can turn our speechlessness into prayer. Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He 
who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Who is this He? Well, it is God the Father. God the Father searches our hearts. God knows us all, and He knows all of us, and He knows all of any one of us. All our thoughts, desires, fears, hopes, concerns, joys, sorrows, bitterness, angers, resentments. God knows all of this. Even when we don't know what's going on inside of our tangled hearts, God knows. God knows. Even when we don't know how to feel, God knows. Even when we don't know what to say, God knows. Even when we don't know what to do, God knows. God is omniscient. God knows everything that is. God knows everything that isn't. God knows everything that could be. There is nothing that is knowable that God does not know. God knows everything. He knows everything about you. God has given us the Holy Spirit in order to help us in this gap. Because we often, that, we often think that there's no better judge of us than us. That nobody knows more about me than me. But the fact is, I know far less about me than God knows. You know far less about you than God knows. The gap between what God knows about us and what we know. The gap between God's will for our lives and our knowledge of and ability to walk in those purposes. And the Holy Spirit stands in that gap taking what we don't know about ourselves, but what God knows. And God the Father tells the Spirit, the Spirit takes the formlessness of that unknowing and turns it to prayer that comes before Christ, that comes before the Father, and that drives home God's purposes in our lives and in the world. Now, the Holy Spirit is fit to pray for us. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit fit to pray for us? Well, three reasons. The first, the Holy Spirit knows the depths of God. You don't. The Holy Spirit knows the depths of God. The Spirit exists in unbroken, eternal, joyful fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. Nobody knows the Father and the Son better than God the Spirit. God the Spirit knows the depths of God. And because God the Spirit knows the depths of God, God the Holy Spirit knows the purposes of God. God, the Holy Spirit, knows the purposes of God. The Spirit knows the will of God for our lives and for the world. The Holy Spirit is not behind some veil. The Holy Spirit is not under some deception or illusion. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He knows the will of God because he is God. He knows the will of God. He knows the purposes of God. And guess what? Here's the best reason that the Spirit is fit for us to pray. The Spirit's prayers are always answered because the Spirit knows what to pray. The Spirit knows what to pray. We are, we are as broken image bearers of God, we are susceptible to praying against God's will. We are susceptible to praying for things that God knows if we were to receive them would injure us that are not good for us nor good for the world. But the Spirit will never do that as he shares in the one unbroken will of God. The Spirit's prayers are always answered because the Spirit doesn't pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. The Spirit prays, our kingdom come, our will be done. The Spirit stands in our stead, bringing the formlessness of our unknowing into the presence of God so that God might drive home his purposes and our life in the world. At the beginning, I said that in our weakness, God is inviting us into something special. Do you know what that is? 
and our weakness, God is inviting us into the most profound experience of love imaginable. In our weakness, God is inviting us into an experience of love that is inconceivable in any other relationship but that between us and God. To realize that God knows every bit of us, even the things that we do not know. He knows our very worst and our very best. God knows the things that we keep from everyone else. God knows the things that we are keeping from ourselves. He has seen the things that we could not give any speech to, the things that we don't even know are there, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the best and the worst. And in light of all of this knowing, he loves us. He loves us. What God is telling us in this passage is that even when we find ourselves so weak that we can't form the words, when we're so angry we can't speak, when we're so uncertain that we feel paralyzed, when life is so overwhelmed that we don't know what or how to ask, that the Spirit of God can take our mess and bring it to the throne of God with meaning. The good news for us is that when we stop praying... The Holy Spirit does not. When we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit doesn't lack words. When we don't know why we feel the way that we do, the Holy Spirit is not in the dark as we are. And the Spirit of God, given as a gift to God's people, can take all of that and can bring it into God's presence so that God might bless us with a profound experience of his love and that he might drive home his purposes in our life and in the life of the world. The will of God will be done in our lives and in the life of the world because the Spirit of God takes our inexpressible desires and those prayerful desires that run counter to God's will for our lives and brings them into alignment with the character and the will of God. Now, the only way for us to really begin to enjoy this and to practice this is to engage in a daily reminder of our need and our weakness. And can you guess what that daily practice might be? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the daily practice for those who seek the help of God. Prayer is an invitation into telling God, I know you already know, but I need you. I know you already know, but I need you. And let me tell you how. Even when we are busy, even when we don't know what to ask, even when we are excited, even when we don't know what to say, even when we are grieving death, even when we are celebrating life, even when we are angry, even when everything is going great, even when the bottom falls out, even when we're betrayed, even when we're blessed, prayer daily invitation to say I know you already know but I need you I know you already know but thank you I know you already know but I'm angry and every time we enter into prayer we join in the present work of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God I often wonder what our lives and our church will look like when we believe that as Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not preparation for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I think if this work is good enough for the present ministry of the Son of God, 
and the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's probably good enough for us. Robert Murray McShane, in my favorite quote on the ministry of Christ's prayer, is this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. The Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf. The Son of God intercedes on our behalf. And when we pray, we enter into that present ministry to confess to God what he already knows as he invites us to embrace his power made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. We ask God that you would bless us with a fresh reminder of our need and our weakness so that we might once again be invited in to the matchless, unparalleled love of God who knows us all, all of us, and every bit of each one. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.